Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome. It is another inspirational week of Don't Box Me In, and I am your host, Lana Reed. Today we are talking dads and divorce. Now, we all understand that divorce is simply a reality in the American culture, and most often it is the man or the fathers who get the short end of the stick in these matters. Uh, no, But no one will deny the valuable need for fathers to be present at all times in a child's growth. As usual, I like to throw out some statistics uh, on the matter. So it is estimated that there are 70.1 million fathers across the nation. And according to the 2012 uh, census, it's estimated that there are 1.96 million single fathers and there are roughly 189,000 stay at home dads. My guest today understands many of the dilemmas of fatherhood and divorce. Hogan Hilling is a proud dad, father of six self-help parenting books. He has received the 1995 California Courage to Care Award for his service as a fatherhood advocate. And since 1992, he has co-founded support groups for dads, which include dads clubs in elementary schools, served as an instructor for expectant dads in hospitals, as a facilitator of workshops for dads with different family dynamics, income levels, religions, and ethnic backgrounds. He is known as the Dad Guru, and it is with pleasure that I welcome Hogan to Don't Box Me In today. Hogan, welcome to the show. Hey, Lana. Nice to be here, and thanks for giving me an opportunity to be on your show. As always, I say thank you. Thank you for giving you uh, me your time. Time is a valuable thing, so it's always a gift. So thank you. Um, I'm going to start off here. Uh, the One of the titles of your book is called When Divorce Do Us Part. So I'm going to assume that you were married at some point. Is that correct? Yes, I was married for 25 years. 25 years. Okay. And um, I guess let me ask in what part of the 25 years did you realize um, the marriage wasn't working for you? Um, yeah, the full title of my book is When Divorce Do Us Part, How to Live in Love Again. And I would probably say the last 10 years were a real struggle. Um, I saw uh, my ex-wife's value system kind of deteriorate. Um, tried to go to counseling, and interestingly enough, um, most men don't. A volunteer to go to therapy and I did and my ex-wife wouldn't go and so for 10 years I just kind of teeter-tottered through the marriage trying to save it and um, it, it was a sinking ship that couldn't be saved and I, finally when I was in therapy I concluded that um, it was an unhealthy marriage and I needed to get out. Okay okay so would you say that to end the relationship was more so your decision and your push or what were you guys both at that mutual point at that time like let's say oh this. no she was totally surprised I, I i i made a decision and um, um i must say that because i went to therapy and got a good therapist he was able to help me work through the decision process uh i think a lot of people think that it's easy that, that it's harder on the person that's getting dumped well it's not it's, it's difficult on both people i mean to make that decision to break up a marriage was not easy. But let me just begin by saying that to have give everybody a peace of mind on this is, you know, my book is really looking at the other side of divorce that is that is often overlooked and not talked about. And there is a bright side to that. And I think we need to begin by letting people know that the whole idea of two people falling in love, it's a beautiful thing. But when two people fall out of love, it's devastating, but there's hope for a happy life. That being said, there are legitimate and valid reasons uh, why couples divorce. I think we need to understand that and accept it and also embrace it. Uh, and some of those legitimate and valid reasons are, one, is we've had couples that just merely fall out of love. Nobody's at fault. The, the spark is gone. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a minority. There's uh, There are spouses that lose their value system that break the circle of trust either through infidelity, uh, sexual infidelity, financial mm-hmm. infidelity, lying, making up stories, whatever it is, you know, bottom line. And also um, what I saw a, a growing population now are spouses that have been diagnosed either with alcoholism, alcoholism, drug addiction, or some other mental condition. 
And there's no reason for a spouse to stay in a dysfunctional marriage. It's unhealthy for everybody. Mm-hmm. True, true. And I was going to point out um, when at the time that you decided, made your decision to get divorced, there were children involved. And, and most often those are the ones that the adults worry about how it's going to impact. Um, how, how many children did you and your wife have at I the had, time? I had, I, had, I, had three, I had three boys. Okay. And, and uh, how did, old were they? Uh, at the time that I filed for divorce, uh, 23, 22, and... 18. Okay. Okay. Um, just out of curiosity, did you, th- do you think, reflecting back, do you think that you waited so long to finally say, I need to end this relationship until your boys were grown, or did that have anything to do with it? That played a part of it. I think that does play a part with a lot of marriages. Um, I think uh, now a psychologist saying that's not a good thing. And looking back, I wish I would have divorced earlier. I think um, I had other factors that kind of kept me in the marriage. One was I had a child with special needs. Okay. Um, also, I was the at-home parent. Okay. At-home dad. And so I didn't, had no work history. I had, I'm, I'm kind of similar situation with the many stay-at-home moms that were in relationships who felt okay. kind of helpless because they don't have no, they don't have a work career in front of them. Okay. Um, I pretty much had zero finances when I was when I made the decision to divorce, I knew I would, I would start with almost practically nothing financially. Okay. 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 So th- those kinds of things played. I mean, there's all kinds of things that play into this. I think what people have to realize is that, you know, you have to accept the consequences of your decision, whether to stay in the marriage, you have to accept the unhealthy part of it and, and, and just go forward with that. But, you know, if you, if you make that decision, you have to accept that. On the other hand, we have to also um, be um, sympathetic, to the people that decide divorce, you know, mm-hmm. they made a decision and said, "Hey, you know what? I'd rather be uh, financially bankrupt than emotionally bankrupt." This is mm-hmm. what I said. True. And, True. You know, my mental health was more important than I could always make money. I mean, yes. But my 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 mental health um, is something that it would be a real struggle, and I I have no uh, regrets about the decision I made. Yeah, it, it's always true that, you know, and it takes a lot of us a lot of time to realize that that um, at the end of the day, you cannot beat your peace of mind or, you, you know, like I said, your, your emotional well-being. And sometimes we make decisions in our life based on, you know, like you said, the finances or appearances and, and, and those types of matters. But at the end of the day, it's I need to go to sleep and be and rest at ease with my mind. So, um, you know, it's always better when you make decisions that way. Uh, you know, most divorces well, well, are. Well, I was. I really let me just point. You know, I Go had ahead. a great peace of mind because I went through the. I went through the whole process of deciding whether I should divorce or not. I mean, okay. I, I. I was very. I was very tactical in terms of talking to my therapist. And for all the men that are listening out there, I would. I would strongly recommend that you put your ego aside. It's really going to benefit you to find a good therapist that can give you the proper steps that you need to take in order to emotionally prepare yourself to go through this. And then when, whether you're the person that's being dumped or whether you're the person that's filing for divorce, it's really crucial and um, good to do that. Okay. Okay. And, you know, like it's, it's very good to get the therapy and all of those things. Um, but also when it comes to divorce, and like we've pointed out in your situation, not all parties are like on the same page. You, you mentioned that it kind of came out the blue for your wife when you said, you know, I think I want to end this relationship. A lot of times you hear divorces can be very toxic. You know, one person is very bitter. There's always these power struggles. Um, but at the end of the day, and this is kind of the, the topic of your book, um, you ended up having a, a happier um environment when it came to your divorce. How, how does somebody go about doing that? First, let me say, uh, couples that are married, a lot of mm-hmm. them aren't on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the reason and the reason they file for divorce is because they're not on the same page. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea, I've always, uh, you know, when, as I was doing this book and listening to other people going through the divorce experience, um, I, I kind of chuckled because uh, people are in a marriage, they're not getting along, and then they take the same behaviors that they had during the marriage into the divorce process. Okay. And that's a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my divorce process was toxic in the beginning. Okay. Uh, 
in short, and we'll go more depth on what I did, but in short, the reason the divorce process went so smoothly, smoothly for me emotionally and financially and also uh, the length of it was only seven months is because I changed my behavior. My book is not about my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. I cannot control what she does. Okay. If she's, if she, if, if, I'll say if, 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 a, if a spouse is not behaving the way you want your ex, ex-spouse to be, you couldn't control her when you were in the marriage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what makes you think you're going to be able to do that in the divorce process? The only thing that you can control is your behavior. And my whole model through the divorce process was I'm going to go through the divorce process with integrity. Okay. I'm not going to play fit for tat just because okay. my ex-spouse is um, uh, of acting in an appropriate and unethical manner doesn't justify the fact that I should do that. Okay. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you're, you're, God gave us a great power, the power of choice, whether to embrace them or not embrace them. Mm-hmm. And I have the power of choice to act amicably, act respectful, regardless of how my spouse, is. and we're going to through a detail about some of the things that she did, but, um, I decided, you know, I'm going to um, make good decisions. And it paid off for me, and that's why I wrote the book. I'm trying to help other people realize, focus on what you need to do, your behavior. And it's especially true with the kids, because they're going to model after what you what you do, not what you say. Okay, and that's okay. that's the best thing that you can do to benefit your kids. Okay, so the message here is that somebody has to be the bigger, better person, and you might as well put on your... Your grown-up pants and and be that bigger, better person than in these types exactly. of situations. And, 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 it, and, it, and it does require it does require having to change the way you behave. Okay, okay. So th- you said your whole divorce process was um, like seven months, um, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming, like we said, we mentioned it when it started off, it, it wasn't really like smooth sailing. So by the time it ended, was it? Amicable on both amicable on both parts, or was there still some sort of tension and struggle? No, there was. There, there, it, it was amicable. My ex-spouse started to realize the importance of uh, returning the paperwork on time, um, and to just. I think part of her struggle was that she didn't realize, she didn't think this was gonna, this was happening. And sometimes what happens is, uh, um, I think in some spouses. They kind of prolong the process, thinking mm-hmm. it's not real, and that the whole closure thing. Um, and the other thing that was that's different from my book too is by me changing my behavior, my ex-spouse's behavior started to change, and okay. it became a great wake. It became such a great wake-up call for her that she actually wound up apologizing to me. Okay. Um, and 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 you know, not many couples or spouses get an apology, and it was very sincere. And she admitted at all the uh, awful things that she did to me um, during wow. the marriage and also at the beginning of the divorce. And I'll, I'll elaborate on that again a little bit later. I have a story to tell about um, what happened in the courtroom that kind of changed the whole tone of the, um, the proceedings as well as um, how my behavior um, changed everything for the better. Oh, cool stuff, cool stuff. So... Real quick, I want to ask one more question before we go to break. Um, during this this divorce process, you mentioned you had the three um, boys that were um, adults pretty much at this time. Did you approach them first to let them know that this was going on, or uh, how how were they informed that mom and dad were going their separate ways? Yeah, the healthiest way to do this is to uh, talk to the spouse first. You okay. never want to get kids caught up in the middle. Okay. And then what I did is I wrote a, I wrote I wrote a letter to the kids. You know, they were older. I think with younger kids, you really need. To, I think it's best for if, if it's possible and the spouse is amicable about it. I think it's best for both spouses to talk to the children and give the news. Okay. Okay. But Good in my tips. case, I, I I wrote a I wrote a letter. My my child was special needs, of course. He doesn't understand. Um, but um, that's that's how I handled it. Okay. All righty. Good tips. Well, Hogan, we're going to take our first break of the day. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with more Hogan Healing right after this commercial.
Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back. I am with Hogan Hilling today, author of the book, When Divorce Do Us Part, uh, which is a self-help survival handbook for um, people going through divorce and, you know, how to get through the process and, um, you know, how to live healthy afterwards. Now, before uh, the commercial break, we were talking about your own personal experience, and you were saying that, you know, in the beginning, your uh, ex-wife, she really wasn't on board with the whole thing, but um, she did make the transition and eventually, you know, admitted her share in the problem. Um, and I, I do want to mention, you know, that I, I tell people all the time, a lot of times with relationships, that we have this habit of pointing the finger um, and saying, you know, you, you, you. But it, it does take two to kind of arrive at uh, a situation. Um, but, you know, on for her end, she did say, you know, I, I made some mistakes. I had my share in this problem. And you said you had a, a story, that she, a courtroom story to tell? Yeah, yeah. But before I, I share the story, I, I just want people to understand is that, you know, all the information and this limited information in the book about my ex-wife's inappropriate conduct is not meant to cast judgment on her like you had noted. You know, it's just merely true accounts of the choices that she made. And true. again, like I said earlier, she apologized for them. But people need to know that those facts exist. And I would kind of argue the point that, you know, there, the conflict in the marriage, I think that there's responsibility for two parties there, but I, I truly believe, and this is a lot of my stuff in the book is unconventional thinking and choices. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to divorce, I mean, if someone committed infidelity, you know, that person is responsible for that, for mm-hmm. breaking up the marriage. And one of the points I make in the book is that for those people that committed adultery, you know, all your spouse wants is just an apology without a but. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what the whole point of my book is accepting accountability for your behavior. You, if you cannot accept accountability for the fact that you committed adultery, I mean, there's no reason why you should do that. It, mm-hmm. You know, file for divorce first if it's that, if it's that bad. Mm-hmm. But if you committed adultery, you need to hold yourself accountable and say, I made a mistake because that's going to carry the way you behave through the divorce process. If okay. you're still in denial that you didn't have, a, that you didn't, that had infidelity, you're just going to keep carrying that behavior with you. So okay. the story I want to tell you is similar to what I'm talking about, kind of an analogy and give a bit bigger picture. Is that uh, my ex-wife again admitted that she was taking funds out of our account, joint account, without me knowing it. Oh wow! And um, one of the problems we had was our oldest son. Uh, was into drugs and alcohol, and we were not on the same page in terms of disciplining him. Okay. And she admitted to, she admitted to being an enabler. I went to um, what's that, Al-Anon, to mm-hmm. pull this stuff up with my with my son. My son wouldn't go to therapy. My ex-wife wouldn't go to therapy. So I go there and I find out that I'm actually dealing with two addicts. One's okay. A drug addict, and one's an enabling addict. Okay. And I changed my behavior like the therapist said, through the marriage, but I wasn't getting any results. And that's what made me realize I'm changing my behavior. They're not. I need to get out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the same behaviors my ex-wife was exhibiting, the stealing and the lies and everything, was the same thing my son was doing. You know, drug addicts and alcoholics, they lie. They do mm-hmm. anything to, to, to get what they want. Mm-hmm. So my wife was doing the same behavior, and that just kind of blew me away. I'm going like, wow, I am dealing with two addicts here. Mm-hmm. So... My therapist was aware that all the stealing of money and lying, they were making up stories about me being a bad husband and a bad father to people. And most of the people were buying into it because they were considering her as a, as a good source. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was in therapy, uh, there are times when therapists give bad advice, and it was with really good intentions. He knew my financial situation, and he said, you know what, if you're going to file for divorce, you need to start taking money out without your wife knowing it hmm. and i said no i'm not going to do that mm-hmm. i'm not going to participate in behavior that i don't approve of mm-hmm. and i have heard many couples who have maxed out their credit cards and uh, you know taken money out and done that kind of thing and i said i'm not going to do that i'm if my ex-wife can take can kill my spirit and take everything else but she's not going to take away my integrity True. Okay. So we go into the divorce, we go into the courtroom, and the first thing that comes out of my ex-wife's attorney's mouth is, 
accusing me of stealing money <laughs> in our account. And, you know, think about it. Thank God I didn't do that. True. I was in the courtroom telling the truth. And they kept badgering me and my attorney saying, how could this guy who has no money not be doing this? Mm-hmm. Most people that go in the court are doing this kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. And so the judge finally realized, oh, you know what? This Mr. Hilling guy is on the up and up and telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And we all know how biased the court system is with, yes. with moms and women, okay? Everybody understands that reality. Well, this judge looks at me and goes like, wow, this guy's changed. is, is acting differently than most men come in there. Mm-hmm. Now, most dads are really upset at the system. They get angry. They, they, they don't keep their emotions in check. And anyway, uh, my attorney also said to me, Hogan, you know, you need to ask your wife, for all the bank statements. And I said, you know what? I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I told him, you need to do that. I go, like, you know what? I just want to get this divorce over with. Mm-hmm. And my attorney was absolutely right. I should <laughs> request that. Okay, well, when I requested that, the last thing my ex-wife wanted is the judge to look at the financial statements. Okay. It never went to that point, but what happened was because the combination of my integrity and because I asked for the statement, she didn't want that can of worms to open up. So from that point on, the, you know, the judge's tone, you could tell, was was different. And all of a sudden, my ex-wife started to realize, oh, my God, Hogan is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, I better be careful what I do from this point on. Okay, so she changed her whole tune there with the threat of being exposed for her own financial habits. Exactly. What people have to realize is that if you stay on the high road, it may not appear that you're making progress. It's not immediate gratification because a lot of things have to happen. You have to be diligent and stay true to yourself. Don't lose yourself in this whole divorce process because if you do, you're going to make bad decisions that are going to impact the end result. And, you know, my story is proof positive that if you stay on track and you do everything I say in the book or model after I do, that your outcome will be better than acting inappropriately. Immaturely. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay. And um, better, then, in the end, it's better for the kids, too, because they're going to be modeling after you. I mean, they're going to see. I mean, it has a much uh, better chance of the the after-divorce process to be much more healthier well, because... Well, I'll give you an example. I think one of the sometimes spouses go, oh, you know, I wonder if she's probably, he or she's probably saying this and that. I go, like, don't worry about what they're saying or doing. And there were all kinds of stories going around about me. And I mm-hmm. just ignore them. I got a letter from one of her friends. And mm-hmm. I, and I didn't respond. I didn't resp- I didn't react to it because I knew it wasn't true. But see, that's what they're looking for is to, is that reaction. Push and buttons. Yeah, pushing buttons. And really, mm-hmm. I give an example. Kids are going to figure out who is telling the truth if you're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. My youngest came up to me and said, "You know, why is mom acting this way?" He figured it out. Mm-hmm. I never, I never said anything bad about his mom. And when he asked me why is mom behaving this way, my answer to him is, "You need to ask your mother." Okay. I'm not in control of, you know. Most spouses are trying to explain why the other spouse is acting that way. That's not your that's not your call to make. Mm-hmm. If you just go to your kids and say, you know what, I, I don't understand why your your mother or father is behaving that way. I think the best thing for you to do is to go talk them to them about it. Yeah, I mean, and you know, that's just such a sad misfortune. A lot of times in divorces, the kids are they're kind of held hostage. They're in the middle in this tug of war thing. So, you know, when one of the parents is the like we said earlier, the bigger, better person, the adult about it, it does make the transition for the children of divorce um, a little well, bit easier. Well, well, yeah, well, all I can say is that if you're a parent that's using a child as a pawn, shame on you. True, not true. Shame on not shame on you on the other spouse. Shame on you for doing that. Mm-hmm. True, true. So um, I'm curious, because the book here, When Divorce Do Us Part, How to Live and Love Again. Um, you offer uh, some tips to people going through divorce. Is the book just for men and fathers or is it for everybody? 
Oh no, it's for everybody. Um, I, I think what makes us unique is because I'm I'm a dad, mm-hmm. and uh, much of what I talk about again is controlling my behavior. And the first ten chapters are really about the emotional healing process, and then the last uh, ten chapters uh, is more about applying. What I found out is people are emotionally paralyzed with divorce, either mm-hmm. because of the shock or they know what to do, but they just can't pull the trigger because it requires you changing your behavior and getting out of old habits. And so mm-hmm. what I do in the book is I help you recognize the trigger mechanisms of the other spouse. And I also give you examples of how you need to control yourself and that you are responsible for your actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the things, uh, like in the first 10 chapters, I talk about, like, chapter one, how to accept a divorce. Um, there's annul the fear, um, alleviate the hurt, controlling the anger, exonerating the guilt, you know, focusing on um, making yourself whole in self-care, ignoring inappropriate and destructive behaviors, holding you accountable, and then chapter 10 is about standing your ground with the integrity. The last 10 chapters are kind of like uh, the titles are Treat the Divorce Like a Business, um, don't make money the issue because most divorces don't involve hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's usually it's tit for tat, a few thousand here and there. Um, accentuate the positive. Uh, two of the most important chapters in the book are uh, emancipate your ties to dysfunctional people and then network with successful people. Um, make the divorce happen. Manage your anxiety about the children. I just kind of talk a little bit about the kids thing. There's all kinds of books out there on the deal with kids. This is more about uh, taking care of yourself through the divorce process. And then the last three chapters are about celebrating the divorce, which again, which is an unconventional thing that I did, make you happy and whole, and then I close it out with uh, my new successful life. Oh, okay. Okay, cool stuff. We're going to take our uh, quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with more about the book right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. I am with Hogan Hilling today, author of When Divorce Do Us Part, How to Live and Love Again. And we were talking about, um, you know, his divorce and uh, what everybody can learn from that. Now, Hogan, when it comes to divorce, you usually hear, especially with with yours, you, you, you were married for 20 something years what usually happens is uh in the split the friends go with one spouse the other spouse is kind of left kind of lingering out there floundering around and then even in your own situation because you were stay-at-home dad um you're kind of financially cut off at the the legs there how does do, do you recommend a potential person considering divorce to kind of get a plan in place before they make the split? Because like you had, I'm assuming like no financial means really to kind of go forward in some ways. And then sometimes, like I said, with the, the loss of the friends, one goes with the spouse, you're kind of left alone emotionally going through all of this stuff. Is it, do you have, should you put something in place to deal with these things before you even okay. go into the, Oh, yeah, that's a great point you make. I mean, that's the, that's why it's so crucial to actually uh, find a good therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what I mean about a plan, too, you have to have a game plan in terms of how you're going to emotionally deal with this. You know, how mm-hmm. do you break the news? When are you going to break the news? How are you going to uh, serve the papers? Um, and, again, you know, you don't know if your ex-spouse is going to be amicable about this, but what you have to do is you have to, you have to lay out a plan for yourself. Because you remember, you're leaving mm-hmm. a, a family, okay? So you have to figure out, okay, what's my game plan? That's why I say you have to be very focused on what you're doing because you have to follow a game plan. Once you mm-hmm. make it, you have to follow it. You cannot deviate from that. And that's especially true if you allow your emotions to get in check. You're going to make bad decisions, and then all of a sudden your game plan is going to be changed, and you don't want to do that. Um, the other point I really want to make at this time is that um, I think where the problem lies a lot with people that go through the divorce process is they think they're the only victim. Mm-hmm. And they sit there going, oh, you know, I'm a victim in this, and make all justifications about even people that decide to make the, the decide to do the divorce. I've heard say, well, the reason I'm broke now financially, 
unstable was because of my ex-spouse. I said, wait a minute, you made a decision to divorce. Mm -hmm. I made a decision to divorce, and I knew I was going to start off with zero money, and it's not my call to turn around and say, well, the reason I'm in this situation is because of my ex-wife. No, mm -hmm. I made a decision to divorce. And what, what I try to point out in the book is that if you're going to act like, I acted like a victor, not a victim. Okay. I, I said, I'm going to file for divorce, and I'm going to make good out of this situation. I'm going to come out of this whole situation victorious. You know, other people were telling me, you know, how miserable I should be through the divorce <laughs> process. And I'm going like, oh, I'm happy with this. <laughs> and people have to remember that you're not the only victim in this. Your mm -hmm. spouse is a victim. They're hurting. And mm -hmm. many spouses, oh, they don't hurt as much. No, that's crazy. Everybody's hurting. Kids are victims. The attorneys are victims. The relatives are victims. Your friends are victims. Everybody that's connected with you is a victim of divorce. Okay. And so if you start acting like a victim, then people are going to treat you like a victim. Yeah. And you're not I'm, going to get out of that you're not going to get out of out of that rut. And that's a good point there because you can only say woe is me, woe is me, you know, this is so and so mm -hmm. fought for so long before people get sick and tired of that and you don't become good company to be around so you start to lose the support system that you could potentially have that helps you heal through this process you know so you know just trying to adopt a positive um, more healthy attitude right from the onset um it, well, you know that's a, that's, a, that's a great point you made is that you lose your potential what what i tell people is when you go through a divorce workshop which i also recommend there are a lot of people there that are, are, are caught up in the victim mode mm -hmm. but there's a handful of people there that are acting positive about divorce, and those are the people you need to latch on to. I think it's normal for people to latch on to other people, but sometimes they latch on to those people too long. Mm -hmm. And, and they're, they're, they're buying into, oh, poor me. Well, mm -hmm. at some point, you know, and then they're complaining about how the divorce proceeding isn't doing this, and they're pointing, again, they're pointing the finger at the ex-spouse and not taking a look in the mirror and saying, well, look, if my ex-spouse is behaving a certain way, I'm contributing to that. What am I doing that's contributing to that behavior? Uh, mm -hmm. Remember that, the definition of insanity? Doing the uh, same thing and expecting you know, different and results. Different results. Well, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. in the marriage, you know, now you're yeah. in the process. Let me just say one more thing about the divorce process that people have struggled with that, that don't help them get over the hump of being a victor. If you look up the word divorce, it's a noun and a verb. Mm -hmm. It's not a word to describe a person. It's not an adjective. And so many people file for divorce and they think they carry it like a scarlet letter. Mm -hmm. And divorce is a process. When you tell people you're in a divorce process, do not word, use the word divorced. Once mm -hmm. the divorce is over, it's over. Don't mm -hmm. tell people that you're a divorced person. Mm -hmm. Because right away they're going to make judgment of you, okay? Mm -hmm. And what? And again, another exercise that I talk about in the book is just an example: is that when you're filling out an application and the divorce box is there, first of all, it shouldn't even be on an application. Okay? Mm -hmm. But the reality is there. So, from a mental frame of mind, don't check that box. Check okay. The single box. Those are the okay. things that I'm talking about in the book as an example of how you take control and say, okay, the divorce box is there and the single box is there. I get to choose who I say who I am. True, true. Good point. Good point. I mean, it's, it's all about developing a strong foundation, you know, for for who and how you feel about yourself. So, I mean, yeah. it is it is a, a a negative badge. You know, now that I think about it, now what you're saying, it is a negative badge, a negative connotation. You know, I'm I'm divorced, I'm divorcee. You know, it just it seems like you're saying to the world, I have failed at something. And and then that's not necessarily the case. No, it's not. And not only that, if you look at the uh, just the semantics of our of our uh, language and conversation um, is that if you tell somebody you're divorced or going through a divorce, um, the therapist and the professionals will tell you, you lose half your friends automatically. Mm -hmm. Not because they, because they don't know how to, people don't know how to deal with the word divorce because they've been indoctrinated this whole notion that it's a bad thing. 
Mm-hmm. And also, some of them feel like, oh, God, if I hang around this divorced person, it'll be contagious. <laughs> it's not. But And also what divorce does, it, it, it for people that are in a marriage, it makes them think about, oh, boy, my, my, my two friends are having trouble. They're getting divorced, and they start looking at their marriage, wondering if it's going to happen to them. So what they do is they try to stay away from you. Uh, not intentionally, but they, you know, and so you become a little bit more isolated. Mm-hmm. Well, again, you can change that by educating other people and helping them transition through that. Okay. So there's a huge okay. responsibility that comes out when you're in divorce, but, you know, if, but your actions and how you handle yourself are going to dictate how people are going to respond to you back. Yes. If you start acting like a victim, you're going to have a handful of people that are going to start enabling you. True. Okay. Okay. And, you know, um, you mentioned quite a few times uh, that you, you recommend, you know, you align yourself with maybe some sort of therapist. I think you even say in your own situation, you were seeking um, the services of a therapist. And now that you've transitioned out of the divorce, you also, um, in some sort of way, you, you offer coaching or counseling. I think I read that you do the uh, St. Andrew's Divorce Recovery Workshop. Did you start yes, that before or after your divorce? Oh, no. That's an interesting story. What happened was, um, again, I'm, I'm different than most guys. And, again, guys, if you're listening, I encourage you to do this. Um, 80, usually in the divorce recovery workshops, it's 80-20 women. Mm. And, guys, you need to show up for yourself, but you also need to show up for the other guys. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times what happens at 20%, usually by the end of the, the, the series, 10 to 15% of those guys that take off. Oh. Be- because they feel intimidated by the women. They're all outnumbered. And mm. guys need to start showing up, uh, you know, just to, as a support mechanism in terms of numbers. But not only that, you need to go there to support the women that are there, too, to give your perspective. Because okay. a lot of these women have been indoctrinated with this whole notion that every guy out there is a jerk. Okay. They cause, you know. So it's a, it's a way to support them and say, hey, you know, wait a second, you know, I'm I'm... My wife committed adultery. I know your husband committed adultery, but it happens to me. It happens to men, too. Mm -hmm. So I went to the divorce recovery workshop right after I filed for divorce. uh, um, I got a referral from my attorney and my my therapist. And uh, when I went in there, um, I was happy to do that. There was open discussion forum and everything like that. And what happened was the um, for 20 years, I had been a facilitator for uh, uh, dad's workshops. Okay. So I understood what was going on, and I knew that this was important, the structure and everything. And I didn't tell the Divorce Recovery Workshop administrators that I had been a facilitator, because I was there as a patient. Okay. Um, You know, I was there for me. Okay. And after I went through the workshop, they came up to me, and they said, boy, you know, you you brought such a positive experience here, and um, we think that you'd make a good facilitator. And then I told them that I had 20 years experience. And they go, wow, you know, we'd love to have you. So I volunteered. Okay. And so, and when I was going through that process, that's what motivated me to write the book. Uh, okay. So many people came up to me and said, Hogan, you have such a positive attitude, you know. Uh, you're supposed to be miserable. <laughs> way, you know, and how come all these great things are happening to you? And I yeah. said, uh, you know, because I'm making decisions that you're not. <laughs> yeah, I refuse to lay down and just be beat down, you know, so yeah. yeah. Cool. So how long have you been doing that? So I, so I, I acknowledge, uh, I actually dedicated the book to the DRW. Okay. How long have you been doing the uh, facilitation of the divorce recovery workshops? Uh, two years. Okay, two years, two years. I, I don't think I ask, how long have you, how long has your divorce process been finished? Uh, let's see, it's been about three years now. Okay, three years now. Okay. Yeah, and, and again, my, my, my divorce proceedings only went seven months. Okay. Okay, that was really, and really the aver- fast. Yeah, the average, they say the average is two to five years, something like that. Okay. Okay. Wow, that was really quick there. So you, what types of um, things that happen in a divorce recovery workshop? Why is it of benefit to anybody, be it a, a, a man or a, a woman? Well, I think, one, um, there's a spiritual element there. I mean, um, most of them are churches. Uh, and, again, mm-hmm. for the guys, just, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a real churchgoer guy. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't go there for any religious reasons. There's a religious component there. I went there because I wanted to learn more about uh, the, the anxieties of divorce. 
And um, at the divorce session that I went to, there were almost 200 people there. Oh. So, you know, you're not alone in this. I mean, you know, you talked about the divorce rate earlier. Is You know, you need to connect with people that are going through the process. So okay. that you have a better understanding of not just uh, uh, that you have similarities, but also people can help you prepare for what's coming up. So gotcha. you know what to expect. Um, also, uh, part of the workshop helps you feel good about yourself. Okay. Um, but where the people struggle is that they don't apply a lot of what is taught at the divorce recovery workshop. And that's, oh, okay. and that's the, that's the coaching that I give is that, you know, you could, uh, the divorce recovery workshops can only do so much. The, okay. They're there to give you some guidance and give you some information. But bottom line, when you are away from the church or away from the workshop, you have to deal with the public yes. and you have to deal with your ex-spouse. You have and to apply so it. My, you have to apply what my, you learn. Yeah. What my coaching services supplies is that you cannot just call the divorce recovery workshop and make an appointment and say, I, I have a problem here. You cannot mm-hmm. just call the therapist and say, I have a problem here because they have other patients. You have to schedule things. Okay. What my divorce recovery coaching service provides is almost immediate responses and replies to you. Okay. And for example, if you're, if you get a text, I've had one, one client call me up and said, Hogan, I got this text and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious over this and I'm pissed. And mm-hmm. uh, I just text back, and my response was that, why does any text or any kind of communication your ex-spouse gives you require immediate response? Thank you. Especially, you know, when it gets you upset. That's good. You know, take a deep breath, step back, and then go back in and make the appropriate response. And that's a good tip. Uh, but I want you to hold that thought. We're going to take our last commercial break of the day, and we're going to talk more about that when we come back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello. I have spent the uh, day with Mr. Hogan Hilling, author of When Divorce Do Us Part, How to Live and Love Again. And uh, before the uh, last break here, we were talking about um, some of the things that go on in a divorce process. And you, and you had mentioned the responses, you know, the, the you know, our, our spouses uh know how to push our buttons and you were telling the story you know of somebody got the text message and it was it evoked an immediate sensation of i have to respond and you know that's kind of toxic in itself why why do you feel the need to respond immediately to uh your spouse and and, and that applies to anybody in your life sometimes but um you know how do you train somebody to say you know what i'm not going to let this person push my buttons i'm going to you know step away i'm going to think about this How, how do you train yourself to do those things well, everybody's trainable. <laughs> Even I'm trainable. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, it's, again, it's about changing habits. And mm-hmm. back to the whole, uh, you know, instant reply, immediate reply, is that uh, one of the tactics that I use is, uh, when I, first of all, I had told my ex-wife that she wanted to have a meeting with me and talk and have a discussion. Now, I know, I, and I told her, I said, I will, from this point on, again, this is about, Standing your ground, holding your, being accountable for your actions. Um, I knew that for me, because of the relationship I had with my ex-wife before, that she manipulated my conversations. You know, you said, you said, she said things. So for mm-hmm. me, the conversation with her was totally something where I didn't want to go. So I told her, I said, from this point on through the divorce process, I will only communicate with you by email or text. Okay. And I stood true to that. And there was a reason for that, because everything you write down, you need to document, and that's only how the court system is going to look at that. They don't want the he said, she said thing. Okay. And so I, I, I set some ground rules for the divorce process that I felt comfortable with. Now, I had people coming up to me and start, you know, criticizing me, well, how can you be so insensitive that you can't talk to your ex-wife? Mm-hmm. I go, you don't know our relationship. I know our relationship, that this is the best way we're going to be able to go through the divorce process amicably. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, writing is great therapy, and I know that because I'm an author. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing, when my ex, ever my ex-wife wrote a message, email or text, and I sense that it triggered me, 
what I would do is I would write down on a different document, not in the email and not in the text, because it's easy to hit that send button. Mm-hmm. Once you hit the send button, that stays there forever in cyberspace, and you can't get rid of it. <laughs> Right? Can't get it back. So Can't I, get it back. So I would go and write on a document and share how I felt, and I would li- I would either let it sit, and then I would look back at it and I go, "Oh my God, I'm glad I didn't send it because that's not what I wanted to say." Mm-hmm. The next thing oh. I did was I actually turned to a woman that I could confide in, and I said, "Could you read this?" And she looked at it and she goes, "Hogan, that's like a guy talking. What you need <laughs> to do is write this as though a woman is saying this." And she's absolutely right. Okay. And so I looked at that, and she edited it. So when my wife, ex-wife received the message, it came off as though it was coming from a woman. It was, it was, um, it was, it was not threatening. It was easier for her to receive because it was in her was her natural to tone. Well, yeah, you know, and again, yeah, you know, again, that's what I changed about me is you know my delivery and how I was communicating with her and. It changed the way she was responding back to me with emails. Okay. Again, I changed my behavior and she changed her behavior. And that's, you know, one of the tips that I give. And also sometimes people get caught up in the emotions and I'm only a phone call away. Mm-hmm. And that's how you break habits is I'm more of a sounding board and saying, hey, oh, you know what? My Because ther- people have tried to call a therapist and they can't get back to you. And sometimes, you know, therapists... Uh, uh, either want you to come in or, you know, you're caught up in the moment. I'm just another um, alternative. Okay. Uh, and there are other coaches, too, that are out there that are alternative because they're, um, they're accessible. And also, you know, we're people that have gone through the process. And also I have evidence of the fact that what I have done works. Okay. Okay. Now, you just mentioned now that you do provide um uh, a more instantaneous coaching uh, service to people. What what all do you do for, uh, I guess, and it's not only people going through divorce, you provide counseling to a lot of different types of demographics, correct? Yes. Um, you know, even if you've done with the divorce process, you know, there's some, still some things that, you know, you might, decisions that you might be make. Yeah, the divorce is over, but you're still struggling with the healing. You're still struggling maybe to go dating and, to, and, and, and make your life more productive. You know, mm-hmm. I'm all about coaching and helping you, motivating you, and helping you see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that uh, divorce, um, there's a bright side to it. And once you're divorced, it's over. And, you know, you're, you're, you're really devaluing yourself. You know, there could be another person out there. Well, that, there are so many people, well, I don't want to date again. And go like, that's the worst thing you can do, start isolating yourself from people. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I, that I've done is celebrating the divorce, you know, by accident, by celebrating the divorce, I actually did something again, that was unconventional that could be very therapeutic for me. And that opened my social activity a little bit more. Too many people isolate themselves and don't socialize anymore. Yeah. I've heard this new trend going on. Um, I'm, some of it's a little strange to me, but they have like these divorce celebrations or divorce parties or something like that. Yeah. Is that, is that kind of something that you're saying well, that's, to? Yeah, that's an option. But I mean, you can even celebrate on a personal level. I didn't do a party thing. What I did was I just went on vacation for three days. Okay. Okay. And at, it, at the time, I didn't. I didn't think it was a great idea. I thought, you know, I just need to get away from people. Okay. And what happened was those three days, it kept me away from all the dysfunctional people. I cleared my head. I laid out a game plan. It really helped me build confidence saying, I'm going to do this because I didn't have people influencing me and making me feel terrible. Okay. And then uh, the other thing I did was, uh, let me go back to a quick story. I hope I can get this done. I had one woman come up to me who um, was sharing a story about how um, she decided to take dance lessons. And I said, oh, that's great. And she goes, yeah, I've always wanted to dance, and my husband wouldn't let me do that. I think it's great. That's something you're passionate about. Well, she started taking dance classes. Well, guess what? Her social circle started to expand. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing of that was she was talking to me about how she was dancing with men, and and she started telling me some of the instructions they were giving. I go like, do you realize what you're doing by making this decision? You've done something wonderful. And she didn't even know this. She mm. said, you know what? You're setting boundaries for men when you're dancing. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. telling men. You're making yourself strong because when you were in the marriage, 
you didn't set a boundary for your husband, did you? She goes, no. I go, what a wonderful thing. You followed your passion. You decided to go dancing. You learned something about building relationships with men. And now you're meeting more men, and you're becoming a better picker. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book is being a better picker. Making better choices. Right. That's what it's about. The other unconventional thing I did was after my divorce was filed, uh, and even though I, I, I did get some money out of the divorce to help me get back on my feet, and I went and out, and I used to ride motorcycles, and I went out and bought a Harley Davidson. <laughs> you got your toy, your, your man toy. And it's not a midlife crisis, okay? I did it for practical reasons, and I acknowledge the Harley Davidson in the book. What happened was I did it for practical reasons because I couldn't afford a car. Okay. Gas-wise, economically, insurance. And not only that, I when I bought the Harley, I'm in the parking lot, and a, a Harley guy comes over to me and goes, like, wow, man, did you buy this beautiful motorcycle? Well, yeah. He goes, welcome to the Brotherhood. Shakes my hand, gives me a hug. <laughs> And I'm, and I'm going like, you know what? I lost, the, I, I had a lot, sense of loss of family in the divorce proceedings. And I realized by buying the Harley, I opened the store up to a whole new family. And then mm-hmm. when I got on the Harley, there's a uh, ritual that motorcycle guys go through. I'm driving down the street, and whenever a motorcycle comes from the opposite direction, they give a high, they give a, a signal. Yeah. And as I'm riding the Harley, my, my, my fam, I have a new family that's growing. Again, cool so my social circle expanded. And not only that, the Harley was therapeutic because I could get on a golf for a ride, go to the beach, go to the mountains, not deal with traffic. It became very therapeutic. Good stuff. Good stuff. Find you something else to uh, and, and develop a new circle of uh, friends there. Well, Mr. Hogan Hilling, we are at the conclusion of today's show. My hour always goes so fast. Everybody, uh, please uh, go visit and uh, learn some more about Hogan Hilling. He is affectionately known as the Dad Guru. You can learn more about him by visiting any of his web- websites, thedivorceguru.com or also dadsbehavingdadly.com. I'm sorry. Say again. Yeah, the website changed. It's www.hoganhilling.com. It's H-O-G-A-N dot hoganhilling.com. And it goes to the dad guru. If you want to purchase my book, um, there's a, um, um, an icon there uh, on the front page. But you can also go to my book section because I have five other books uh, that I have published. There you go, everybody. Go to the website. And it's been a pleasure hanging out with you today, Hogan. That is all for this week's show. I'll see everybody next week.